everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Fueled by big data, artificial intelligence-driven autonomy is rapidly becoming a powerful tool. The reason is autonomy, the power of self-governance, which is the ability to act independently of direct human control and in unrehearsed conditions brings transformative potential to all industries and the entire human ecosystem. So as it gets applied to automotive industry, the artificial intelligence-driven autonomy is driving innovations and revolutionizing the industry. The emerging potential is enabling entirely new intelligence and automation capabilities to fundamentally transform the automotive industry. While the potential of autonomous vehicles brings with it many, many benefits, we will likely see many intended and unintended consequences in the coming years. To discuss how to manage autonomous vehicle risk, especially the intended you know, and unintended ones, I am delighted to welcome Paul Orlando to this roundup. Paul is the founder of Startups Unplugged, an incubation director and an adjunct professor. He's based in the United States. Welcome, Paul. We are honored to have you on this roundup. Thank you. It's uh, very nice to be here. Wonderful, Paul. So when systems, autonomous systems or autonomous machines can learn to perform tasks without any human direction. They you know, start developing their own AI you know, uh, algorithms. They start developing all the subsystems without any human involvement or supervision. They are, you know, as we know, they're called autonomous systems. And we are seeing you know, that emerging in many industries from robots to vehicles to drones to you know, machines to you know, even the software, the bots. So many of them are released into the world that are totally unsupervised and they can accomplish things that we have not even thought that we will program them for or we have programmed them for, you know, the human designers and developers or owners, none of them are aware of, you know, what can emerge from this. So what risk do you see emerging for the designers for which the, you know, none of these, you know, AI designers or autonomous system designers or machine designers are prepared for and are not prepared for? It's a great question, and it's a very big question. So the, um, the movement towards autonomous vehicle development, research, you know, this has been going on for quite some time. You know, there was even, there was even you know, early research decades ago, you know, um, but uh, it's certainly been fueled a little more in recent years, both on the investment side and just the talent that's going into this area. So, in my perspective, you know, it's important to have a discussion of not only benefits, but also some of the systemic risks that we might want to be aware of and might want to take into consideration as we develop AVs and if they are, um, you know, mainstream at one point. So um, I, I think of it like this because my, the perspective that I'm bringing, like you said in, in your introduction, I'm thinking of this in terms of a systemic change, what might happen. And so while we are very, and certainly I personally am very pro-innovation as a way of making people's lives better, I also like to balance that and think of, okay, well, what are the trade-offs? What could go wrong that maybe previously could not go wrong? So on the side of autonomous vehicle development, there's a couple main arguments for why this is a good thing. And you know, these, are, these are arguments that we've probably heard a little more commonly. So the first, I would say, is the safety argument. 
in the US alone, around 3,000 people die from traffic-related uh, accidents every month. Around the world, it's around 100,000 a month from traffic-related accidents. Um, you know, the, the US is you know, um, a, a relatively safe place for driving or for being a pedestrian. You know, the roads are, comparatively speaking, you know, uh, pretty good. There's lighting at you know, nighttime, you know, there are you know, good traffic lights, good, you know, good signs, things like that. Um, yeah, and so uh, one of the arguments for AV, um, you know, mainstreaming AVs is why on earth would you choose to have this level of death? It's a significant you know, number of people every single month. Um, and the prime cause of this is human error. So people fall asleep uh, while driving. They're driving intoxicated. They don't see you know, an exit. They're distracted by their other devices, for example. So one of the arguments is, you know, this is just logical. We should choose safety whenever we can. And another argument that you also see a lot is it's an optimization question. So today, um, you know, a lot of fuel, you know, uh, petrochemicals go into driving. Uh, we're driving in inefficient ways. There are traffic jams. Um, optimization also in terms of just human development. You know, I would say in general, it's probably not a great use of our, you know, our time to spend it behind the wheel of a car, whether we are driving or if we're a passenger and we cannot really be productive in that environment. So, um, yeah, so there's, uh, these are the two main you know, arguments, but like you said, I also think like there's a lot of risks that you know, come out from a systemic change. So um, I would love to like talk through some of those with you. Sure, sure. No, I, I hear you. I mean, the points that you made that yes, we do need safety and security on the roads and our human decision-making process itself is very flawed. You know, and we don't take perfect decisions all the time. So yes, there are, you know, accidents happening. There are uh, drunk drivers. There are, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, trouble that we see on the road that we would like to manage, you know, using these autonomous vehicles and uh, systems that we are talking about. Now, you made the point about systemic risk, you know, that we cannot, the system-wide, you know, uh, changes, you know, are emerging and challenges also are emerging. So I'm thinking about it. When we talk about autonomous systems or autonomous vehicles or any autonomous, you know, machine, they are not made of just one machine. They are made of numerous, you know, interconnected automatic systems and then you know the algorithm that runs all those you know automatic systems individual automatic systems uh, that makes it an autonomous system now all that you know automatic systems feed data you know all the time to and then algorithm you know takes a decision based on all the data that is being fed you know in real time so all the, the just like you know in human systems human made systems the risk emerge from the interconnectedness and interdependencies the same way even in autonomous you know systems and autonomous machines the risk emerges from mm -hmm. the connected you know system connected automatic systems so there are so many systems that we are connecting you know in that makes the autonomous systems so what challenges will the industry face in expanding the application of autonomous systems as we you know evaluate 
the number of automatic systems that will go into making of this you know autonomous system and where do you see the risk emerging right no, that's it's a it's a great point and great perspective so i like to compare um where some of this risk could go in the future i like to compare it to some present day examples so i lived in new york city for a number of years if you've lived there and i assume this is the case in many other cities as well but um, something that I would observe from time to time would be if I would be walking, often walking down a busy street, and we'd see a limousine come up to a light and want to make a turn. So a limo is a very long car. Making that turn, you're blocking off other people. And it's also a car that draws some attention because, you know, it's, it's bigger. It's, well, you might think, oh, this is carrying someone who is wealthy or someone who is showing off. So an occurrence that I would see, you know, with some level of regularity would be the pedestrians themselves would kind of antagonize the car or the driver a little bit. And New York is a little more of an aggressive city. So one thing that would be common, you'd see somebody like slap the back of the car. In other words, they're taking behavior that seems to be completely illogical. But for that specific situation, it actually is a way of uh, kind of you know, pushing back a little bit. So there's an instance where I think we would have to assume that it could be possible when AVs are actually on, and we've seen this a little bit with some of the test cars, you know, where someone recognizes, oh, this is not a human driver. I'm going to play a little bit with this machine, or I'm even going to test it a little bit. I'm going to behave in a way that is not what I would do in the typical situation. So you actually, you know, have people who are acting in ways that maybe, you know, the, the car is, if it was a human driver, they would not encounter this type of reaction very much. Uh, in other words, like the system itself is different than the current state. When AVs are mainstream, you know, in environments where people are a little more playful, I'll say, or a little more uh, you know, willing to act in uh, you know, ways that kind of test in new situations, you might actually find that what had previously been a very safe road to drive on becomes dangerous in different ways. And now, of course, the, the responsibility is going to be on the, you know, the manufacturer of that car or the software provider or like the, the company, the, the parent company, um, in a way that a human driver never really needed to uh, account for. So like behavior changes are one, uh, one situation where I think we'll see an emergence of different behaviors, um, which are not really reflected that much of what we see today across the board. Um, you know, another area, of course, and you mentioned, or you at least I think alluded to this in the interconnectedness, you know, is um, intentional or you know, malicious hacking of AVs. So, you know, currently we certainly have situations where, you know, there are connected vehicles on the road, of course. Um, we, we certainly have, you know, uh, instances where cars are hacked. You know, um, when I would go to security conferences in the past, you know, one of the most interesting uh, little parts to uh, look into was the car hacking, you know, uh, you know uh, researchers. So, you know, just to show what is possible to do when you have cars that are getting software updates, 
um, where there is you know, connectivity either for entertainment systems or you know, uh, you know, other information, information systems. So um, you can imagine a situation where you have cars at higher level autonomy. So I'm talking level four, level five, something that doesn't exist today, but the cars are communicating with each other. They are you know, managing uh, a traffic flow. They are routing around an incident, something like that. Um, and people are dependent upon that system. You can certainly imagine a situation where a group say intentionally, or it could be intentional hacking, or it could be a bug that, you know, software bug that propagates through the system where it can shut down, you know, a fleet, a city, uh, specific vehicles intentionally. Current state where we have human drivers, you know, a lot of these risks, um, they are not really possible today. So current state, we, we deal with, say, a higher level of mortality. We deal with some of that lower optimization. But at the same time, if the decision maker is the individual driving the vehicle, we can't impact at scale the entire city of Los Angeles or the entire country. You know, we can't make all of those human drivers do something that they don't want to do. We might encourage them in one way or the other, but um, I like to use the thought experiment of asking, well, if instead of decreasing the, um, you know, the, the risks that we have for driving, what would it actually take to increase risk today in the current state with human drivers? What would it, you know, what would it take to increase the level of uh, traffic deaths per capita, say? And I kind of, take this standpoint of, you know, it's not really possible today because what would we need to do? We would need to, talking of interconnectedness, like what would we need to do? We can't impact every car by car very easily today. What would we need to do? These are like large scale, long-term lobbying, you know, like, like regulation. We would need to basically, you know, lobby to make roads less safe, you know, uh, reduce the driving age to, uh, you know, eight years old, you know, encourage people to drink more. Um, you, know, it, we, you know, we'd have to like do things that seem bizarre or impossible from a legal standpoint. Um, human beings in general don't like to put themselves in that really risky situation where their own life uh, could be taken. If they do, they are exited from that uh, position of being able to drive because they get in the accident and they are taken off. Um, but where you have an ability to scale, and so you could have a system that is very interconnected and dependent upon that interconnectivity. You can then impact it, whether it's top down through malicious, malicious hacking, uh, through a software bug, or bottom up where behavior on the ground, kind of grassroots people decide to engage in a little more risky behavior around AVs because they know, oh, that car is going to move around me. You know, uh, I don't need to worry. I don't need to cross the street in a safe way like I used to with human drivers. So um, these, you know, these situations are, of course, very difficult to predict. We can think about them. We can say, I think there is you know, an exposure to some risk for these reasons. However, in the end, who pays for that risk when that happens? You know, um, and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, chaos, you know, that can emerge. 
Sure. No, I, I hear your point and um, those risks will emerge and, you know, cybersecurity uh, is going to be at the top of the, you know, risk profile that we will be, you know, addressing. But also other ways that we are, you know, talking here is, as you mentioned, you know, the uh, if the autonomous car is vehicle is coming and, you know, someone decides to just mess, up, mess around with it, some human. So they, now we are talking about human behavior versus, versus machine behavior. Now, human right. behavior is highly unpredictable. I mean, you know, even adults, you know, or kids can, you know, behave in a different way all the time. But even adults can behave, you know, differently, you know, depending on the situation. So, but here machines don't have emotions, at least not yet. So in the coming years, maybe they will start developing emotions also. Then they will, you know, go back into their uh, database and see, you know, what, uh, who, you know, tried to mess with them, who was trying to create mischief with them. And then all those, you know, biases and all that will get into their emotions and decision-making ability as well. Immediately in the near term, we are not going to see emotions uh, in the autonomous vehicles. But that is going to likely happen in the coming years. And as a result, these biases towards humans are going to be embedded, you know, uh, irrespective of the databases that are, you know, fed to them in the initial training period, even their own experience is going to create some biases in the coming years. So how do you see the developers, designers managing these, you know, bias risk as far as, you know, uh, machine, human, machine behavior goes for, you know, human behavior? That is a very interesting question, a very difficult question. And I almost want to say this is one that I, I, I don't know that I have a great perspective on this because it is such a difficult question. You know, the designers themselves, in, th in fact, I, I might say my perspective might be that it might be a little easier to see intentional behavior that a designer brings in than the unintentional. And so for example, some of the philosophical questions that people have um, you know, brought up in the last couple of years to that point are um, if there is, this is like the, the trolley problem, right? That people sometimes bring up. You have to make a decision, you know, the trolley car is going down one track or another track and it's going to hit one, you know, one person on one side or it's going to hit five people on the other. Are you going to actually pull the lever and divert the car? You're going to be responsible for that one person's death or the five person's death. Five people's death. So um, if there's some intent there, you, know, you can test you know, those questions. I've even seen tests where they are testing you know, which is worse to kill people uh, who are older or younger you know, uh, male, female, someone who you know is a doctor <laughs> or someone who is maybe working as a, a laborer, right? These are ethical questions that human beings as drivers at least typically are not put into because the situation of being in an accident is, even at the numbers of today, it's relatively rare and it's so fast that in that spur of the moment, that, you know, split second, um, I, I, I question whether a human driver is really changing how fast they turn a wheel or step on a brake for certain things like that. A lot of things just happen like very quickly. So um, it might be innate bias. It's not, say, intentional on the part of a designer. 
when it comes though to unintentional properties, um, very difficult, right? You can try to model behavior. You can try to put a, like the emulation of an autonomous vehicle in many, many different environments where all sorts of things, you know, random things happen. You know, even create situations that you would never expect to see happen on the entire planet. Um, but, uh, you know, but there again, like there's going to be some, some trade-off and there is going to have to be some metric of, well, which is better or which is worse, this outcome or that outcome. And, you know, I actually think even, even if the safety argument holds true and you take that, say, in the U.S., 3,000 deaths a month or you know, around the world, 100,000 deaths a month, and you reduce that to instead of 3,000 a month, it's 30 month, say, you know, the other interesting outcome that we might see is those 30 all of a sudden become very interesting news stories. They were not before. Um, instead of it being, well, it was a mistake, it was unintentional, it was just human error, you know, are these AV companies instead, you know, liable for each death in a way that was not felt previously? The only semi-comparable situation that we've seen in automotive history has been in cases where car companies have intentionally gone forth with a risky design and it led to deaths and then that was uncovered. So a famous example is the Ford Pinto from uh, the 60s and 70s where a gas tank was placed a little too close to the back bumper and so in a rear impact, you know, uh, the car can catch on fire more often than, you know, than would be expected. Um, and Ford, actually, back at that time, because they were in such a rush to push this new model out. And, uh, you know, and, and actually, they, they were trying to do this in a, I think, a 24-month time frame instead of, a, you know, maybe a 48-month time frame, as was typical. Um, they rushed through, and they actually did a cost-benefit analysis. You can actually read this document. It was an internal Ford document that was released in some of the legal proceedings. You can actually read that document. And they made a decision based on, well, yes, we believe some more deaths will happen because of this flaw in the design. However, the cost of reworking everything is greater than the lawsuits that we believe we will have to pay out on. Uh, and of course, that led to a massive uproar, you know, um, uh, uh, from the, you know, from that type of response. Um, you know, you can imagine there are going to be potentially many little versions of that as we develop higher level autonomy. You know, if that internal memo, <laughs> whether it is actually a memo, <laughs> like people at Ford wrote, um, or if it is, you know, you're doing discovery on internal messaging that was sent back and forth, or just trying to psychologically, you know, interview someone and get in the mind of what they were thinking when they made one decision or another. Um, it's a really interesting question because it starts to shift responsibility from that of the human driver, where we have it, I'll say largely today, and it shifts it to more of a, a large organization, it's like a top-down entity, um, you know, where were there intentional forms of bias or where were there unintentional forms of bias, but 
those unintentional forms led to large impacts in the way cars move and how people are injured. Yes, and that is a good point to you know base this discussion on that that motor company knew that their engine was the design was not in the right place and you know it is going to create human deaths. In spite of that, humans decided that you know human deaths were okay as long as they were able to manage it by the lawsuit, you know, and that doesn't impact their profit margin. So here we are talking about the humans, you know, and human ethics that still did not care about the human deaths. So when we are talking about machines and machine ethics, how are we going to, you know, ensure that they keep human lives, you know, in front of them and that they are not going to, you know, do things that would create more human uh, death and damages. So because, you know, ethics are impossible to get, you know, proper implementation on, even if we define all kinds of, you know, ethics and guidelines, like we are seeing right now in all the open AI initiatives and all other initiatives, everybody is coming up with, you know, guidelines and, uh, you know, bullet points about, you know, uh, what the developers should be doing and where, what we should be mindful about. But at the end of the day, we humans, even if we define all those ethics guidelines for ourselves, we are not following that. We are not implementing that, you know, in our behavior, in our day-to-day -day actions. So how do you think that, you know, our, the autonomous systems, machines that are going to be totally independent from, you know, our control, that they are going to, you know, be, listen to all these guidelines that, you know, we have tried to define. Why should they, you know, focus on that? Why should they, you know, listen to that? Why? How do you think we will govern this risk? Such a great question. And I don't know that it's an answerable question because it's, you know, it's predicated on this future state where so many things are different and emergent properties, which we cannot really predict. You know, we might have some idea for, but we cannot really say what's going to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a question that, you know, I don't know if it's really answerable. And that's, I suppose, why when I ask questions around, say, the inevitability of mainstream AVs, I, I always think of it as that trade-off of what is lost in this, new, say, from the current state, which is not great, I'll say, but in that future state, you know, we, for example, like we push down risk in one way, but it pops up somewhere else. And if anything, you might say you know, the, the risk of the current state of driving is more or less understood, right? It's understood to the point of view where insurance companies don't have a problem insuring drivers. Um, the, for example, um, in the US, like those, uh, those statistics that I've you know, been quoting on number of deaths per month, you know, in general, you know, year by year in the history of driving, those have more or less moved down for, for decades now because cars have become safer, uh, roads have become safer. Um, so that's an understood system and it's also moderated by individual human drivers. And then when the system entirely changes, instead of individual drivers, individual human drivers, you have a set of overarching, um, say, rules or 
algorithms that govern how many vehicles are driving at the same time and communicating with each other. And you know, once you get to that state, that future state of say, you know, if for example, all cars are level five and uh, level five autonomous, you know, in other words, there's not even a driving, you know, like a no steering wheel, you know, anymore, uh, or people don't even know how to drive anymore. It's not, you know, it's not a skill that, you know, you need to have, um, you know, emergent properties, in other words, a one-off bug that propagates through a system or an intentional hack can totally create chaos. And you could go from that very minimal number of deaths to a sudden spike. Or you can go from, wow, traffic is really moving very well to all of a sudden we have a traffic jam. So it, you know, it becomes like if you think of the, um, you know, there's been a number of hacks of uh, GPS systems more recently, like Garmin, you know, faced a ransomware hack, you know, about a week ago. Um, you know, things like that are going to impact a large number of people and it's going to happen suddenly. You don't really have the ability to, uh, like, to scale up risk in the current state. So I, I think your question is a great one. And emergent behavior, you know, whether it is the system creating some other outcome that no one really was able to foresee, or intentional malicious behavior, say on a part of a hacker, um, you know, is, is very difficult to, you know, to be able to account for. Because if anything, you, you go from a kind of a steady state where in general, month by month, we're kind of a similar level of risk to once in a while, sudden spike up. Again, we go back down, sudden spike up. Again, we go back down. Um, you know, some of the other risks actually, which are more related to say optimization are, um, so like one of the, one of the arguments, you know, is also, you know, better fuel efficiency, less traffic jam, uh, you know, you know, potential because the cars are able to, you know, drive closer to each other. You know, we actually see the opposite of that in, in many cases. So when rideshare started to become popular, we observed that people will more often take a car. So whereas in the past, maybe I would have taken public transportation, maybe I would have walked, it becomes very easy for me to order Uber or Lyft and you know, go somewhere by car. Um, you know, so we, you know, like we sometimes call this uh, you know, Jevons paradox, right? Something that we thought would lead to a savings for the environment, less fuel consumption, um, you know, less, you know, less traffic congestion. It actually drives people to consume that more. You know, so getting in a car becomes less expensive. Per mile travel is less expensive. Therefore, I end up traveling more miles. I get in a car more frequently. And, you know, again, we can see some hints of that from past behavior. How this happens with mainstream upper level autonomy uh, in vehicles. Um, I think it could be, you know, it could be um, a good assumption to make that I consume many more miles of traffic driven because this is amazing. I, I don't need to, you know, even worry about, you know, getting behind the wheel. I just like, I step in, the, the car just knows when I'm ready. It, you know, it's open. It's in fact a luxurious experience. I could easily sleep in this car or do my work. 
and maybe I spend many more hours a day in a vehicle than I would have otherwise. You know, it, it no, can lead I, I, I hear you. I mean, there, nobody needs to be convinced on the benefits of that. I mean, I personally, I, I, I don't like to drive myself. You know, it, it's such a waste of time. You know, I would rather sit, you know, in the car, in the back seat, and read, you know, and do all the work that I need to do uh, instead of, you know, focusing on the road. So, yes, I mean, the benefits are... Uh, you know, visible to everyone. It is the unknown unknowns that we are not sure what's going to come our way that, you know, uh, everybody is concerned about. Now, there are a lot of organizations that are trying to, you know, identify those risks and trying to define the ethics for, you know, these uh, developers and, you know, the all different AI initiatives. Where is the consensus, you know, emerging? What are they trying to do? to minimize or manage the risk emerging from these autonomous, any kind of autonomous system, uh, irrespective of whether it's autonomous vehicles or you know, autonomous drones or autonomous weapon system? Oh, that, no, that, those are great questions. And for, for all the, the different types of autonomous systems that you mentioned, you know, there, there do seem to be different interest groups that are trying to balance that. Um, I don't know that there is broad consensus today and if anything, I, I wonder whether the, the stress will always be on the investment side. So in other words, you know, it's, it's kind of the job of investors or early stage investors to put their money or their own you know, LP's money behind something that is a little too early stage to really know what's going to happen. You know, if you wait until it's a sure thing, then you are you know, buying a stock you know, or a bond. Um, so early stage investing, which has, I mean, like companies, and there are quite a few that have autonomous vehicle programs or research, um, you know, they have raised, you know, tremendous, you know, tens of billions of dollars, you know, easily in the last five years or so uh, when, you know, this market started heating up. So I often, you know, just wonder if having, uh, you know, the money backing them or the talent often, you know, backing them is really going to drive this discussion. And people on the other side of the discussion, you know, they will be included, but they're not really going to be able to manage this, you know, very well. So, um, you know, I, I think just the, the collection of systemic risks that are potential, it makes people have this, this, you know, this question of the, the trade-off. Well, we know that across the board, we potentially get these benefits, but the risks are really unknown. And we don't see that in every situation. So like the interesting thing is actually that Ford Pinto example that I gave a little earlier, they were actually able to measure what those risks were. So they were able to say, okay, this is how less, how much you know, more dangerous this car is than other cars. We expect this amount of mortality due to fires. This is a typical payout in a lawsuit. They could actually put a number behind it. And in the scheme of things, the numbers were actually not significant for a large company. On the other you know, hand, with a comparison to future states, like level five mainstream autonomy, you know, the impact is not, you know, a relatively small number of cars that, you know, catch on fire. It is 
being able to impact, you know, 100,000 cars at the same time. Uh, you know, being able to uh, impact, um, you know, at a moment's notice, not when you are waiting for it, but like at a moment's notice, a, uh, a ransomware attack or a malware attack on a specific car company or a fleet or, you know, um, or even on a set of individuals. So, you know, the number of risks that would need to be accounted for, like, are much more numerous than what a typical car company with a bad design, you know, that they know is only is only going to last for that production cycle, and then they can you know make some improvements. Um, Probably we haven't done a good job on identifying those risks because the sure. risk the list of the risk would be you know quite long if we focus on you know identifying those risks that could emerge. So uh, that that you know tells us that where we need to put our efforts that, you know, there is a need to put our efforts on identifying what different risks could emerge for all these different systems. So that is something, you know, I'm glad uh, we are working on at risk group. So having said that, where, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your incubator and the initiatives that are emerging, you know, from the incubator or any uh, exciting, you know, uh, idea, innovation that is emerging that you would like to share with our global viewers and listeners? Oh, uh, there, there's many, and I'm, I'm happy to send you a list. So the, the incubator that I run is part of a university, so USC in Los Angeles. It's a very broad set of companies that come out of this program. Um, very broad in the sense of like all types of industries, um, mostly scalable technology, but also on the other extreme, some low-tech consumer products as well. And, um, you know, we, we've had a number of, um, you know, uh, human robot interface, you know, projects that have come through others that are related to virtual reality. Um, so I can mention a couple of them. You know, one is a company um, called Lumium, which helps kids going through uh, a health, like an MRI, a health you know, care uh, kind of experience. Um, accommodate themselves to that and be able to stay still. You know, there's another one called Semio, which is about the interaction between robots and human beings. Again, this is similar to AVs. You know, this is going to be a discussion in the future. And they talk about, or they, they work on that ability for a robot to read emotion on a human's face. And it might mean, it might mean something as simple as, ah, oh, well, they didn't hear the instruction or they are confused or they are um, upset. Maybe I will give them a little distance, right? So again, that's, that's a company that has, you know, direct, you know, um, in relation to um, this AV discussion. Um, and on the other extreme, we have a company called Frontita, which works on developing safe um, electronic health records for refugee communities. And so here, this was not something that we were thinking about very much a few years ago, but you have refugee communities where you have to actually preserve the safety of these patient records if they are going electronic because the patients themselves might be under threat personally, you know, under threat by someone who is after them. So how do you maintain patient, not only because it's patient privacy, but because there is perhaps, you know, an international group that is trying to track you know, someone uh, in, their, uh, in their new life you know, in another country. 
Um, but we have a, you know, a, a very long list that I'm happy to share with you. Uh, come out of this. Great. If you can send me the list, that would be great. You know, I, I like to uh, keep up with you know all the ideas and innovations uh, that are emerging from all across nations. So we know uh, what you know risk could emerge from uh, all those interconnected you know initiatives. So I would be really you know happy if you can send me that list. So um, any any anything else you would like to share with our global viewers and listeners? So. I came to this question of trying to study risk or unintended consequences um, really as something that I was doing on the side as I was working with a lot of other companies, both small startups and larger corporates. Um, and that's kind of how we, you know, you and I got talking. I, I write this, you know, series, which is just called Unintended Consequences, you know, a blog, you, you can find it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I found that I was drawn to these questions and I felt that, you know, typically there is not a, a real discussion around them, around the systems or around the risks that can emerge or just even studying past situations where everybody thought one thing was going to happen and something very different ended up happening. Um, there is no shortage of examples and, you know, case studies uh, you know, uh, in that you know, in that context. So I um, I encourage anybody, you know, and certainly all of your listeners are probably already doing this themselves. But I encourage anybody to embrace this as a subject. I think it will make the way you think about other topics. I think it will make that you know a little you know a little stronger, and it will also open your eyes to how the world is very unexpected, and especially as we are going to a more interconnected world, how we should really be thinking about systems change and unintended consequences and risk uh, a little more seriously. Absolutely, no, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad that you started that initiative because we need more brains, we need more uh, initiatives that focuses on, you know, what could go wrong and where we should be focusing because there are plenty who, you know, uh, puts a rosy picture about all emerging technologies and all the great, amazing, you know, advances we would have. But if we are not mindful about where it could go wrong, then we are putting the future of humanity at risk. So I'm really glad that you are focusing, you know, on uh, identifying risk and understanding the unintended consequences, you know, that we really need to be focusing on. So thank you for that. So thank you so much, Paul, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on autonomous vehicle risk and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And uh, as a result of this risk roundup dialogue has been of service. And we thank you for that because we do need to, you know, start this discussion about where it could go wrong and what we need to be doing. We may not have all the answers, but we have to start beginning the discussion. So thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. And through the Risk Roundup initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a billion people innovators, scientists, entrepreneurs, futurists, technologists, policymakers to decision makers. And the reason behind that, this effort through the Risk Roundup Initiative is to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk facing humanity. This collective intelligence effort is essential to understand where we need to focus for our collective security and what destructive forces we need to be mindful about. So thank you for being part of that conversation. Until next time, I'm Jay Shri. Host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time.